Good morning, Two Rivers. Welcome, Live. Welcome, Blend. Welcome, Ann. Welcome, Beard, and welcome, Roan County. It's glad I'm glad that we're together today. What a beautiful weekend it is. Amen. Incredible weekend. Hey, my name is Mark. I have my welcome to that which you've already received. So glad to be together. I know summer's coming to a close. I know a lot of people feel it. Kids are getting back into school. But summer's never complete for me. And just so you know, there is a completeness to this. Summer's never complete for me unless I'm sitting at the water's edge looking at the Atlantic Ocean with my Costco beach chair, my hat, my sunscreen, and I'm just staring out over the ocean. There's something about those moments, and I would say hours for me, that are supernatural. There's one, the, the natural revelation, you know what natural revelation is? God describes and reveals who he is in, in, in his nature. There, there's something about the immensity of the ocean and then the pounding surf that crushes, it's so loud, it's, it's greater and bigger than white noise. It just pounds the surf right there in front of you. I get lost in that for hours. Something about that reveals to me in a profound way the power of God. And I need it once, at least once a year. We live far too, way, far, too far away from an ocean, but at least once a year I get that. And so what we're going to talk about this weekend and continue to talk about is Yahweh says, I will be known. If you've been with us in this series that we've been in called Supernatural, if you've been in the book of Exodus with us, the theme of Exodus has been Yahweh will be known. And as we move into this next section, the last movement, the last part of the first movement in the beginning of uh, a part of Exodus, we're getting into the plagues. Plagues. You want to talk about plagues today? It's going to be exciting, right? Five chapters of plagues. What we see in this is God's saying to, to the people of, of Israel, the people of Egypt, you and I, I'll be known. I'm going to be known by my power. And to know God by his power, to see God in natural revelation is one thing. To see God describe and define who he is as we look at nature is one thing. But we also know the supernatural the supernatural power of God, and if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know the supernatural power of God brings dead people back to life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Brings dead people back to life. We've experienced the supernatural power of God, and what God describes throughout the entire story of the Bible, his entire story of his relationship with us as people, is, is his power. His power over all creation, over the supernatural and the natural, and over all people. And we're going to dig in and take even a closer look at that this weekend. The big idea for our time together is God will be known by his power. Have you heard that this morning? God will be known by his power. So a quick recap. If you've not been with us, uh, the people of, of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. They, they've been forced to do slave labor, and they've been begging and crying out to God. And so God finally sends... Aaron and Moses, Moses and Aaron, to tell the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let his people go. And all the way back in chapter 5, verse 1, they say before Pharaoh, let my people go. This is the word of God. Let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And I think we underlined this a few weeks back. I hope you'll underline it back in chapter 5 again. And it's the crux of what we're getting after this weekend and and in this passage, in in these chapters of of Exodus, is, is Pharaoh's response. His response was this, I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I'll not let Israel go. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know God, and I'm not going to let Israel go. That's the crux of the matter. And what we're going to discover in these plagues that are going to unravel, Pharaoh's going to get an up-close and personal look and an understanding of, of the God he doesn't know in a new and a fresh way. Seven times over. Remember the number seven? Should go seven Points back to creation, points back to the the number that represents completion. Seven times over in this passage, 
He says over and over, by this you'll know that I'm the Lord. By this you're going to know that I'm the Lord. By this you're going to know that I'm the Lord. So back in chapter 6 at the beginning, we see that um, Moses is, 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 uh, is asking God, and God says, you're going to see what I'll do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he'll send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Pharaoh's going to drive these people out of his land. And, and what God's saying to Moses is, watch what I'm going to do by my very power. And so it really sets up where we're going this morning. It sets up these, these 10 plagues. And the word plague is kind of an unfortunate word for us in the English language, because when I think of plague, I think of like a disease. And only one of the 10 plagues really are a disease that hit the livestock. And so probably a better Probably a better understanding and a, and a better definition for us for plague would be this. Supernatural signs and wonders. God's going to perform supernatural signs and wonders. Strikes, blows that are delivered to the king of Egypt and the Egyptians. Acts of judgment in their opposition and their oppression to the Israelites. Strikes or blows. God's going to strike back in a way that's going to define and describe and reveal to these people who he is. So the stage is set. God brings miraculous signs to demonstrate his power. And first off, here's what we gather from this passage. God will be known by his power over all creation. Over all creation. God created everything. The heavens and the earth, all created by God. God says, I'm going to be known by, by, by my, my rule and my authority over all creation. He established humanity's presence and dominion over all creation. Remember back in Genesis, there's such beautiful tiebacks to the entire story back to Genesis. Back in Genesis, God created what? Out of, out of chaos, he created order. He said the whole earth was covered with water, just covered with water and darkness. And God spoke into the, the chaos that was the world and spoke order into it and gave man dominion over it. All that we see and can observe in the natural world reveal the supernatural strength and power and authority of the one who created it. And so since he's the one who created it, he's also the one that can bend it. He's also the one who has complete control and authority over it. And we see it over and over throughout the scriptures. Yes, here in the 10 plagues, he does some amazing things. He supersedes the natural order of creation, and, and, he, and he turns it upside down. But it's not the only place in scripture he's done this. God, God has authority over all that he's created. Remember, remember he held the sun back in Joshua for three days? He held the sun back. The universe had its... It's, it's mechanism and rhythm of working, and God holds the sun back. Remember the story of Noah? Noah, he turns creation upside down, allows the waters to flood the earth again in such a way that was unseen or unheard before. And here in these 10 plagues, we see the same thing. In the New Testament, the same thing. And, and not, let's not make light of it. Let's remember the story. Jesus walks on water. How does a man walk on water? That's power over the created order. How does, a, how does a man heal? Jesus healed people. There's this, amazing, there's this amazing authority and rule over his created order. He, he healed people who were born blind. He healed people who were born crippled. He healed people who could not hear. And God speaks life into them. And he brings people back from the dead and himself raised from the dead. God speaks powerfully over his created order. And a word that's come up repeatedly for us also in these 10 plagues, as he delivers these 10 strikes, and we're only going to cover nine of them this week. We're going to hold off on the 10th one for two weeks, so come back, tune in. But we're going to cover nine this week. But as he does this, these plagues unwind to a place of decreation, 
I hope if you've been listening along with us with some of the places we've sent you, the podcast, it's a new idea, a new thought, just a new way of saying what's taking place here in the passage. It's a, it's a term of the last couple years I've gotten more acquainted with and accustomed to. Decreation. If creation is speaking order out of chaos, taking chaos and putting order to it, decreation is taking order and speaking chaos into it. And God is taking the ordered world in which he's created and he's decreating it to demonstrate his rule, authority, and power over all of creation. Profoundly so in these 10 plagues. So in the time we have, we can't cover all 10. You might be going, I know that brother's speaking fast, but he's not be able to cover all this, right? <laughs> but we're going to cover nine and we're going to do it in a broad way. We're going to look at the nine real quickly, and then we're going, to, we're going to hunker down in and look at the first three, and, and they give you a pattern throughout all of these nine plagues. Again, holding the tenth one off. The tenth one we're going to cover in a couple weeks, but these nine plagues. Grasp this. I put it in your bulletin for you. There's three sets of plagues, three different triads. And, and I love the literary um, description here of these three different plagues, these three, diff these three different sets of triads that he gives us. The first is blood, frogs, and gnats. The second is flies, livestock, and boils. The third is hail, locust, and darkness. And there's some patterns that emerge in these three triads. The first in each of the triads has this, has this representation of the morning. It ties back to creation. The first of each of these triads in 1, 4, and 7, it says in the, in the scriptures, we're looking at 7 through 11, big chapters that we're going through today. It says here in the scriptures that in, in, in the first plague, 1, 4, and 7, that he sends Moses out to Pharaoh in the morning. In the morning. That should, that should strike a remembrance of us. Morning. In the morning. There was night and there was day. And God created. In the morning. He, he actually meets Pharaoh by the river's edge. And all, all these first, the first of these triads start in the morning by the water's edge, which has even more meaning when you think about being by the water's edge. Remember Pharaoh, not this Pharaoh, but a Pharaoh before that, was so threatened by the Egyptians and their, their, their ability to multiply in their country, was so afraid, he's saying, let's throw all the Egyptian babies that are born now into the Nile and have them killed. And so now Moses, a Pharaoh so later, is standing with him before the water's edge in the morning, about to declare what God's going to do to this very water he's standing in front of. And, and there's got to be a, a reflection in Moses' part and our part as we know the story. He's standing here in front of a river. River brings life. Water brings life to people. Without water, we can't live. And so he's standing in front of this, this river, the Nile, which is at the epicenter of Egyptian life and culture, and a place where the, the, the Israelite babies were drowned and killed, and Moses was preserved in a little boat, a little ark that Moses is preserved in. And he's standing before Pharaoh and he's saying, let my people go. God says, let my people go that they may go out in the wilderness and serve me. And there's this picture of death that's here. Death that happened in the waters. And God speaks profoundly into this. He's saying to Moses, repeatedly so, there, there's, there's a power that's being revealed. Let's, let's, take a, let's take a look. Let's get into the scriptures a little bit here. Not just hearing me talk about them, but hearing, letting you see them and read them for yourself. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, we see the, the first plague being un, unraveled before them. The first strike, God's first strike. Starting in 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh when? Louder? In the morning, as he's going out to the water, stand on the bank of the Nile and meet to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. 
but so far you've not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that's in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die. The Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the, the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water from the Nile. Here's that number again. Seven full days pass after the Lord had struck the Nile. Each triad begins with a brand new day. Each triad begins with this, this experience of Pharaoh down by the water being confronted by Moses. So creation, decreation, where in Genesis God spoke order into chaos, now he's speaking chaos into order. He's upsetting the, the very fabric and the very core of their, their reality. Think about this morning. All of us use water today. I hope you did. You smell like you did. All of us use water today. We, we bathed ourselves. We cleansed ourselves. If you drove in the front part of our parking lot or anywhere you drove around Knoxville, this area, you probably passed a body of water. Imagine every body of water that you possibly saw or can imagine you've seen or been a part of around this weekend was turned to blood. That would change a lot of your afternoons, right? A lot of you putting your boats back in the dock. We're not doing this thing. There's blood everywhere. It's a bloody mess. And it says here, in every, in every pond, in every pool, in every vessel, there was blood. Blood. God turns the order into chaos to demonstrate who he is. That's the, the first pattern. And in this first pattern, he says, it begins in the morning. It begins by the Nile. And then the second, tri in the second part of, of the pattern that emerges here is this reality. In, in the second of each of these triads, in um, 2, 5, and 8, and you can go back and look at the numbers. In 2, 5, and 8, he, all, he, he actually goes in. God sends Pharaoh, or Moses into Pharaoh's house. He says, go into Pharaoh's house. Go into his house and tell him this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a command that's going to take place. And if he doesn't turn around, if he doesn't do what I've told him to do, um, here's what's going to happen. Here, here's the judgment that's going to come his way. And so the second set of strikes in each of the triads represent Moses confronting Pharaoh in his home. And the second, the ones we're, we're looking at this morning, let's look at the first triad. The second, the second warning was, if you don't let my people go, frogs are going to come up out of the Nile, and they're going to infiltrate. There you go. Infiltrate. That's the word. Everything that you see, think, or imagine that you think is life around you. And we know from the scriptures that frogs came up out of the Nile. I think frogs are cute. Do you? I think they're cute little animals. I mean, I don't know if you'd want a hundred of them, but, but, but they're cute little animals. But they, the, this cute little animal goes to a, an epic proportion when they're everywhere. He says, they're in your beds. They're all throughout your house. You go to make a, a meal. They're in the bowls, your, your, your mixing bowls, in your cupboards. Frogs are coming out of everywhere. They're, they're everywhere. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not knowing where to step because you're going to squish on a frog? I got a couple mice in my house right now. It creeps me out. 
hey, Louie, creeps me out. There's, there's traps up my attic, and I go up, and I open the door, and I hope they're there, but I hope they're not. And like, I'm trying to catch those suckers, right? There's just two or three. I can't imagine if there are hundreds of frogs in my house, what do you do? It's annoying for sure, but it, it's, it's bizarre. It's over the top. And yet God allows the frogs to come out of the Nile in such a way to demonstrate to the people of, of Egypt and the people of God that, that th- this is a reality that's taking place. My power is being demonstrated. My, my power is being poured out. The third pattern that we see emerge in all three of these triads in 3, 6, and 9, they don't come with any warning. Don't happen down by the Nile. Don't happen in the house. They just happen. They just come out with no warning at all. And, and the first and the first triad is gnats. Gnats. Anybody like gnats? Just the word sounds nasty, doesn't it? Gnats. I hate gnats. You hate gnats? And, and there's a flashback to creation here, too. There's a flashback to the story. Where do you think we came from? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Man was made out of the dust of the ground, the dust of the earth, and God formed man. And now he says to Aaron and, and Moses, Hey, take your staff and hit the dust of the ground. It should go, dust of the ground. And he says, now, from the dust of the ground, gnats are going to come up and swarm everywhere possible known to man. And they're going to land on man and beasts. Anybody have a gnat issue in your world or life? It's going to sound like I live in a cul-de-sac of plagues. I really don't. I live in a beautiful neighborhood. It really is great. It really is unbelievably wonderful. But there's this little area in my backyard when I'm mowing the yard. And without, I always forget, I'm mowing my lawn. And all of a sudden, I hit this cloud of gnats. Anybody have that in your yard? And they're like all over me. They were like up my nose, in my mouth. I just left my mower and ran into the woods screaming. It was crazy. It makes me crazy. But can you imagine Not just a cloud of gnats in one area of your life, gnats everywhere, on man and beast, everywhere, gnats. God's taken the created order and made it into chaos, turned it into chaos. So you could describe and define who he is, who God is. And this pattern in the triads repeats two more times. And And I'm trusting that you're doing this this week. We're living it out together. We're reading this text. As you read this week, you're going to see an amazing picture of God repeatedly repeating this pattern over and over and over. And the culmination and the building of this pattern in a profound way underlines the power of God over and over and over again. It's a beautiful picture and a beautiful story. Hope you'll get into it. I know it's hard to say, hey, God's hitting and striking people with all kinds of pestilence, and it's beautiful, but I promise you it's a beautiful story of God describing and defining who he is, that that Yahweh will be known, known by his power, known over all creation. Yahweh will also be known in all the natural and the supernatural realms of this world. He's taking, God's taking a direct strike against the epicenter of religious thought and understanding in Egyptian culture. This is a showdown, not just between Pharaoh. To read this, like there's Pharaoh and then there's God, like there's this equal turf. This isn't just a showdown between God and Pharaoh. This is a showdown between God and evil. And what God's saying to him, I'm going to turn everything that you know about your religious understanding and culture. You say you don't know me. Here's what you're going to get to know. I'm bigger and stronger and better than any power or authority that, that, that you can possibly bring to bear. And, and God goes after, Yahweh goes after they're the epicenter, the very core of their religious understanding and belief. Here's some important background information. The Pharaoh of Egypt was the embodiment, the incarnation of a god. 
He, whoever became Pharaoh was, was now known as the incarnation of a deity named Horus. And Horus's job and his responsibility for Horus to be a productive and, and, and actually a, a good God and, and, and a thorough God was a God who actually um, made sure that the, the Egyptians won in military strength. But the, the, the second thing that was important for him and his responsibility was he kept order to all the created world. To all the gods that were represented in Egypt, he kept order and harmony in all the created world. So, so think about it for a minute. God's stepping in, first with blood, then with frogs, then with gnats. Is there order anymore in, the, in, the, in, 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 in peace in the world? No, there's chaos in the world. God, God is turning the religious understanding of these people upside down. And looking straight at these three, these three triads of plagues, each of these acts of decreation are decimating religious understanding and religious culture. The second one, the whole idea of, of frogs, it's a little bit comical. It's, it's easy to look at another culture and to make fun of it a little bit, but like their, their god of fertility was a woman with a frog head. So get that in your head. A woman with a frog head. And so God's saying, hey, you want to know how powerful your fertility god is? I'm going to send frogs in multiplication on your land so much so it's going to freak you out. Can you imagine that? It's like turning it upside down. You, you want to see fertility? Watch this. Let me multiply frogs like you've never seen before. It says that they, when they were all scraped up and they were mounted up and, and piled up, it made the whole land stink. There were so many of them. God does an amazing work to demonstrate his power and authority over the natural and the supernatural. And in God demonstrating his being more powerful, as we unpacked a few weeks ago, there was this whole idea of, I think we read about this, the magicians, right? There's a, there's a reference to the magicians here, and there's another reference to them here. There were all these magicians that were a part of the, the spiritual world of, of Egypt at that time. And magician, again, isn't the best word for it. They weren't just tricksters. They weren't people who just could, could connive or, or do special magic tricks. They did, they did have a degree of, of demonic influence and power, but they were priests. Magicians are priests who possessed a degree of supernatural power of their own. In the first triad, the priests were able to replicate the first two of, of the strikes. If you, if you look at the text, they were able to actually turn um, water to blood by their magic arts. They were actually, to re, they were actually able to reproduce frogs and, and multiply frogs. But when they got to the third one, when they got to gnats, when, when Aaron struck the, the dust of the ground, they go, hey, we're out. And they go to Pharaoh, and if you look at the text, it says, what they say to Pharaoh this is the hand of God. This is the finger of God. This is beyond our power, beyond our control. It's already turning. They're, they're two strikes in. There's several to go, and they're out. They got nothing left. And it's interesting to note, too, that I think, you know, they didn't, they didn't see the water turn to blood and then turn it back to water. They just made more blood. They didn't stop the multiplication of frogs. They just made more frogs. They just added to the chaos of it all. So in the substructure of Egyptian culture and belief, there were over 2,000 gods, 2,000 gods, 2,000 small g's, big g's, gods that had oversight over all kinds of everything imaginable, imaginable to man, to the water, to the Nile, to the, the wars, to the sun, the moon, the stars. There were gods that represented every area and, and part of life, and they were to perform duties. Their duties were to, to, to make sure all stayed in, in harmony, again, under Horus. And so it says, it says, I think it's in chapter 10, that at some point the priests, the magicians, were unable to stand. 
Now, I don't know if it's it's metaphorically, hey, they could no longer stand up to all that was coming against them, or I think it's metaphorical, but I think it's also physical. These priests who were actually performing and and representing gods, and some had temple places, some had spaces where they went in and represented the, the gods of Egypt to the world in these temples in these places, they were priests who had to actually go through purification rites. And part of their purification rites was they had to make sure that they themselves were clean. So they'd shave every hair on their body from head to toe. Now think about it for a moment. We're, we're way into this now. They've got gnats, mosquitoes, boils. Anybody ever had a boil? They're painful. Boils are really painful. Their bodies are covered with boils. How can they actually stand in purification rites and shave any part of their body? When it says they're unable to stand, God's decimated and desecrated the very core and the fabric of their religious life to say, you can't keep order. You can't keep, you can't keep this from happening. You can't keep harmony. My power is greater than all the powers that you'll ever experience on the face of the earth. Sermon meeting this week, we were having a, a robust conversation. And I love it. It's, like a, it's where the doors are shut. And, and you can actually have a real honest conversation about what, what's going on here. And we talked about all the gods that seem to have been present in the Egyptian culture. 2,000 plus gods. And it, some of them seem just preposterous. And yet, I don't know that there's a, a big step away from, I know some of their gods are ludicrous, but maybe someone in another culture will look at ours and go, hey, some of your gods are ludicrous. So when I say gods, I mean like, what, what, are those, what are those areas and those places in our life that we've given over to something and someone who has authority and power in our lives? Gods. We've given over in, in ways that are probably too subtle for us to grasp sometimes. Demonic influences. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're, we're not moving in and around and in a culture where there's demonic influence, where there's the opportunity for us to turn to another God other than Jesus, right? There's, there's this demonic reality that, that, that has its place in our world. You can look at the culture that we live in and not just outside of Christianity, in and amongst how we think and feel and believe as we move through our culture. There's the God of sex, there's a God of sex, and, and, and many of us have bowed down to it. There's a God of money. We've bowed down to it. There's a God of influence. We've bowed down to it. There's a God of fame. We've bowed down to it. There's a God of fill in the blank. It's not just a metaphor that a preacher's trying to make on a weekend to say, hey, this is something you ought to think about. This is what God's saying to his people. And we know further on in the story, God comes off, Moses comes off a mountain, and he says, here's some laws that God's given us. And one of the laws is, thou shalt have no other, no other gods before me. Now, why would he say that if we only had one God? He said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm the most powerful God that you could ever encounter. Therefore, any other God doesn't hold a stick to me, doesn't hold a candle to me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's the call on our lives. I think as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I don't want you walking around scared. Wow, do I have all these altars and gods in my life? I don't know. Maybe so. I think we have to ask ourselves periodically, are there, are there spaces in my life that I've given someone else authority and power over me, that I've bowed down? Are, are there on-ramps? That, they might not all point to a God or a demonic influence in your life, but are there things in my life that point to an on-ramp in my life that, that, that has taken precedent over something that, that's greater than Jesus in my life? Now, we'd never say that. We'd never say out loud, like, is there something more important? Is there something more special? Is there something more... Um, worshipful than Jesus? We'd say, no, absolutely not. And yet, I believe if we're not careful, there's these gods that that slip in. There's these demonic influences that slip in. And so I think it's a fair assessment for us and a fair exercise. Hey, where, where, where where does my time and my money lead me? 
Just some thoughts. Where, where, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I spend the inertia of my life? Where do I spend the energy as I move through a week? Where, where does that go? What's that fixated on? Where, where am I pushing toward? What, what occupies, and this is probably one that I wrestle with all the time, what occupies my mind space? What, what, what fills my mind? When I think back of this past week, what did I think about the most? What, what, was, what was more important? What, what, what pointed to something greater and bigger than Jesus? And all those things may lead us to a place where, yeah, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with this, but they always should lead us to a place where we're going, but you, Jesus, but you, Jesus, but you, Jesus. That, that, that's what he's talking about here. He's revealing this pattern that happens in humanity that if we're not mindful, if we're not thinking this thing through, we too can be a, a people who actually give ourselves to other gods. God will be known by his power over all creation, and all creation includes both the natural and the supernatural, and all creation is also all people, all people. God will be known by all people, but it requires a faith-filled response on our part. It requires us to have a faith-filled response. There's a response required on all of us. I love this part of the story, and as much as we've tried to keep pieces of the story together, I'm glad we didn't break the, 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 the strikes or the plagues down into three different weeks of triads because to see the whole story, the culmination of what takes place, God's building an argument, an argument, an argument. He's building a story, and he's building a story in the book of Exodus, but he's also building on the story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. And what he's been saying from Genesis to Revelation, I'm a God who loves you. I'm a God who's pursuing you. I'm a God who's going to reveal to you the things in your life that don't reflect me. And I'm going to do it over and over and over. I'm going to give you over to the very things you say you want to show you and reveal to you their futility. That's the beauty of the story. If God was just fed up and, and, and showed up one day, sometimes you read the Old Testament. I don't know if you do this, but I read the Old Testament and go, wow, is that really God? Just got fed up one day, showed up and goes, plague, 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 plague. And if you're not careful, even if you read the, the nine, ten plagues in, in one reading, and one understanding, if you're not careful, you think, well, that's all of who God is. But, but those strikes, those strikes in the life and the culture here are, are the same pattern we see as God operates and functions within relationship with you and with me. He always, it always requires us to have a faith response to Jesus. And here's, here's what I believe to be true from this text. I believe God turns us over sometimes to the very things we say we want to show us the futility of them. God turns us over to the things we, we desperately are pursuing. Even, even without thinking through sometimes that we're pursuing those things, God gives us over to those things. I remember my early 20s. I feel like, God, I, I was trying to live for Jesus. I was going to school for Jesus. I was going to Bible college, signed up for seminary, and I was living for Jesus, and I also had one foot over here. I want to do these things, and I want to do this thing. And I feel like God finally turned me over in my life to all the things I said I wanted. Just like he did to Israel. You want a king? I'm your king. You want a king? I'll give you a king. How'd that work out for him? The king was always to point to the king, right? And so in my life and in your life, I believe God does this in us. That the things that we give over ourselves over to, the demonic influences, the things that have no business being a part of our lives, God gives us over to those parts of our life and allows us to experience the consequences of those decisions and those choices so that we'll experience the grace and the goodness of God and see it are for the futility in what we've given ourselves to and to see Jesus for all of who he is. That's what happens throughout this text. He didn't just wake up one day and get fed up, but he continually pursued 
the people of God. He continued to pursue the world because he said, Yahweh will be known in all the earth. Yahweh will be known in all the world. You're going to tell your kids about this story one day. In fact, if, you're, if you've had any Jewish background at all, the, the plagues the, the leading up to the Exodus, this is all so much a part of their story. This is a part of our story. You're going to tell your children about this one day. This is, this is going to outlive you. We're talking about it here. Right here in, in, in Knoxville, in the greater part of Knoxville, Tennessee, we're still talking about it centuries later, that, that God would be known. If he just woke up one day and was fed up and said, I'm just done with you, he could have just moved to strike 10, couldn't he have? And yet in Exodus chapter 9, we see this. For this time, he says, I'll send my plagues on you, on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. God could have just done it in one fell swoop. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God had always desired that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. He went after plague after plague after plague. He has a long suffering with us so that his name would be understood and, and known. God will be known. God will be known. He's going to make sure he's known. And, and what's beautiful about the story, and as you get into it this week, I'm going to ask you to look for some, some highlights here. He says, I'll be known among, among the world. And he's getting, he's getting known here throughout the text. The Israelites, certainly, right? They had to have known that this was God. A cool part of the story is all these plagues that were happening to the, to the Egyptians were not happening to the Israelites. They were in Goshen. They were protected. They were watching plague after plague after plague being slammed down on their captors. And they're like, oh, I got water to drink. No boils on me. They were experiencing the power of God in a profound way, how God was, was decimating one people and protecting and preserving another. The Israelites were getting it. And I know you know the story enough. They didn't get it fully. They're tripping over just like you and I trip over. But, but we get it, right? But who else was getting it? The magicians, the priests were getting it. Remember? Strike one, strike two. We got something. We got some, we got some magic powers. Strike three, we're out. That's the hand of God. They were getting it. They were understanding it. The Egyptians were getting it. The people that, that represented the culture, they were getting it. When the hail came, and Moses and Aaron say, hey, if you bring your people in, you bring your livestock in, you bring your slaves in, you're going to be saved and you're going to be taken care of. It wasn't just the, 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 uh, the Israelites. It was, it was anybody that brings their, their, their livestock and slaves and folks in. So what did they do? They brought their people in the house and they were saved. They were rescued. And we'll find out more of the story as, as the people of God finally leave and the exodus takes place. A lot of the Egyptians went with them. And guess who else was getting it? Pharaoh said, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this God. I don't know who that is. And I'm not going to let your people go. Not going to happen. We see Pharaoh, slow but sure, after plague, after plague, after plague, he starts to get it. He starts to get it. He goes, this, this thing's happening. I'm seeing all that I know and all the harmony that I'm responsible to take care of is actually crumbling at my feet. I'm starting to get it. And I think it's in chapter 10. He says, hey, hey, Moses, just this once, Go to God, go to Yahweh, and, and ask him for forgiveness for me. That's Pharaoh saying, I think I get it. I think I understand it. And Moses goes to God, and God says this. One of the most disturbing and difficult passages for a lot of us in the Scriptures is this. And then the phrase that it causes a lot of controversy. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. That's a hard statement to read, isn't it? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go of Israel go. Wait a second. Is that true? D does God harden hearts? 
Does God actually harden a heart? I'd say yeah. I know some of you right now are going, if you've been around church for a while or if you've really been around for a long time, Christendom, you know there's a couple different views here and a lot in between. There's the Calvinistic view, the Arminian view. There's the sovereignty. God makes all the decisions and the free will. We have a part of this. So which is it? Does God harden hearts? Yes, he does. Is it God that does it? Is it I that do it? Yeah, I, I think it's both. And I think what preachers often do when they get to a place where they don't know how to explain it, they say this, it's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. And I'm going to tell you today, it's a mystery. And I hope you feel the tension of it, because I do. Does God harden a heart? Why would he do that? Does God harden a heart? It's a mystery. There's a tension here. God's about a bigger purpose. And, and let me just say this. Sometimes you come to a part of the text like this, and you go, see, this defends my belief. Now, if you think that was written to defend your belief, you're reading the scriptures wrong. This was written so that people would know that Yahweh is God. People would know the power of God over all of creation, over the natural and the supernatural world. That's why this was written. That God would be known. The entire earth would know him. So you can't, but you can't erase the expectation here of God that we would be in faith responders, that we'd respond to his goodness, to his grace. As you spend time in the story this week, there's, and I hope you'll read it several times over, we're told that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I think it's five or six times he hardened his own heart. And then God finally hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think it's the same thing we've already talked about. It's God giving him over to the desire of his heart, what his true motive and his intention is, so he could see the futility of it all. A lot of people turned and trusted God. Pharaoh apparently didn't. And yet, can I harden my own heart? That's probably a better question. You're all worried about, oh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Can you harden your heart? Yeah. Some of you are sitting there right now looking at me like this. Boy, I trust, I, I beg you. I, I, I dare you to bless me. You can't, you can't get in here. Can we harden our hearts? Yeah, I think there's areas of our life. I'm not saying generally speaking. I think there's people who've hardened their hearts and are never walking with God. But to think that that's just something that people outside of faith struggle with, can I harden my heart? Yeah, I think there's areas of my life that I can say, hey, God, 95% of my life is yours. I surrender all. I'll walk forward. I'll raise my hands. I'll sing it to Jesus. But this part over here, no way. That's a hardened heart. That's a hardened heart. Can I harden my heart? Absolutely. And here's what I know God will do and has done in my life and is doing in your life and has done in your life and will continue to do. He'll give you over to the hardness of your heart to show you the futility of where that's going to lead you. That emptiness, that space in your life and in your heart. God's calling us to know him in his fullness. And he's revealing himself. It's the story in the onset of, of, of relationship from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He's requiring a response on our part. He, he, he expects us to respond. It's not a one-way relationship. From Adam and Eve, he called them to obedience. Didn't work out for them. Generally speaking, they left the garden. He calls the people of God. I'll be your God if what? If you'll be my people, if you'll respond to me. He calls us into a relationship with him. He says, I want to be all that you know I am. I want you to understand who I am and who I long to be in your life. But I'm requiring a response on your part. It doesn't just happen. And not just a response for us who, as, as believers saying yes to Jesus, I'm going to have a relationship with Christ, but a response every day. That every day I'm going to be a person that, that wakes up every day and goes, as best as I know how, I'm going to follow you. And here's the upside to what we have as believers. Not just as best as I know how, we have the Spirit of God residing within us. 
I need a strong, even from other venues, amen. We have a spirit of God residing within us. It's not just a verse that says, hey, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in us. We quote that. That almost becomes white noise, but hear it. The same spirit that literally raised Jesus up from the dead, raised him from the dead, Christ said, I'm going to place in you. My spirit resides in you. We don't, have to, we don't have to dig down and hunker deep to live this life for Jesus all on our own. There's a strength when we surrender that Christ himself meets us by the power and the work of his Holy Spirit. Man, that's good news. That is good news. So whatever you're facing today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever, whatever burden that you're carrying, whatever reality or sin issue you've given over and right now the, the Spirit of God speaking to you going, hey, I think you've let something in. Your life has no business being in your life. God has the power, has the power to help you, to move you through that thing so that you can focus and, 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 and your full attention on Christ and Christ alone. I want to do something as we, as we wrap up today and, the first, and it's this. I want you to think about a person in your life right now, someone in your world who more than ever before, right now, right today, needs to know and experience the presence and power of Jesus. The presence and power of God. The power that God loves to be known for. The, the, the power that he wants us to know. Is there a person? And I can't imagine every one of us don't have someone in our life who would say, this person in my life right now needs to know the presence and power of Jesus. I'm going to pray that for them in this moment. That they, not, not tomorrow, not the next day, but today they'd experience the presence and power of Jesus. You got someone in your mind? If you're in this venue, nod. If you're in another venue, nod. I can see you. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray for those people. Father, for the, the folks that you've brought to mind today, the people who need more than ever before today in a new and a fresh way to know your presence and power, we pray for them right now. I believe the power of God, I believe the, the Holy Spirit himself is moving and responding to our prayers because we're praying in, with like hearts with him. God's moving in, in the very lives of the people that you've been praying for. Here's what I want you to do before the day's up. Big, big step for some of you. I want you to text that person and simply say this in the text. I prayed today that you would experience the presence and power of Jesus. Maybe that's it. You don't have to say anything more than that. I just prayed for you today. Hope you're having a great day. Happy Sunday, whatever it is. Remind, and I believe that you're going to hear stories. Some of us are going to have stories next week to tell of what God is doing and unleashing in the lives of people because we've asked the, the, the God of all power to move in a powerful way in the lives of the people we care about. That, that, that's incredible. I hope you'll be a part of that with us this week. This week, we're expecting you. We're looking forward to studying the scriptures together. We're going to live it out together. There's a, a part of your bulletin. If you're new to Two Rivers Church, there's a part of your bulletin inside your bulletin. We call it Live It Out. We're, we're studying the scriptures together. We're praying through the scriptures together. Join us. There's a movement of God among us that is getting to know God in, in a real way. And, and, and not only are we getting to know him, we're living it out. We're, we're actually seeing God move in our lives in such a way where this is having an impact and an influence in how we live. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful opportunity for us. And this week, I want you to continue to pray for that person every day. 
that God would reveal his presence and power in the lives of the people that you've prayed for. And now what I want to do, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for every man and woman in the hearing of my voice right now. And I ask God that you would do a work that only you can do. God, would you move in a profound way? Would, would you remind no matter what clutter is in our lives and in our worlds right now, whatever narratives we've gotten caught up in, God, would you bust through all that by your power? And would you remind us in a new and a fresh way, this moment, this very moment of your presence with us, You've said you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. That's true in this moment. And God, in your presence, there's always your power. Would you, would you remind us? Would you powerfully move in our lives in such a way, perhaps to even infiltrate and change things that are before us, but, but maybe just to change us, to change us in the way we think of you and the perspective we have of you. God, would you move in a profound way? We trust you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now let's stand together across all of our venues and worship a powerful God.